technology is often integrated without proper pedagogical or content-related considerations, or when pedagogical and content-related reforms are carried out without technological considerations. Welcome to Digital Escape, a podcast by the Annie Eckloff Institute, a platform for ongoing dialogue on best teaching practices and servicing students in a virtual learning environment. About the overall health and well being of our students, including in areas of mental health. Encouraging your students to have their closed captioning turned on is a great way to expose them to more literacy vocabulary. Students with special needs, exceptional children. We build that community and relationships. Narrate what the student needs to do as you augment their instruction and their classes, to be able to then take a tackle on more complex or longer challenges. Welcome to Digital Escape, conversation with Dr. Shernette Dunn of A to Z Educational Solutions and Consulting, LLC. Good evening, Dr. Dunn. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. What is the topic for our discussion this evening? The topic today will be supporting students who are diagnosed with ADHD in the educational arena. Okay. Any particular age group? Well, the majority of our discussion will be centered around students in K through 12 settings. However, I'll include some information that may be beneficial to adult learners as well in higher education. So our listeners are fully aware of your expertise in this area. Could you please give us a little bit of the introduction on your background and how you are affiliated with the special needs area? Oh, yes, sure. First, I am an educator for over 20 years, <laughs> and um, I've been teaching um, K through 12 schools. I've been teaching in higher education. I am a national board certified educator. I'm also certified in special needs education for K through 12. Um, a lot of my scholarship and research has recently focused on supporting ADHD learners and also I am a parent advocate because I'm a parent of a child who has ADHD. So I am very passionate about this. I support parents and also educators who may not be so knowledgeable about the um, diagnosis as I am. So that's where my expertise comes in in this um, area. Um, have you presented on this topic? Yes, I have conducted several webinars on the topic of, you know, supporting ADHD learners. I've also presented at a conference in, I think it was March of this year, about supporting the needs of learners who are diagnosed with ADHD, but that was more so focused on students in higher education. I am writing a book on supporting students in K-12 schools on, with ADHD diagnosis. One concern of educators is the question of how to effectively build relationships with students in a virtual setting. At the Annie Eckloff Institute, we are committed to providing media-rich, teacher-centered, one-to-one or small group online support, so your students thrive. At Annie Eckloff Institute, presenters use virtual training that includes embedded scaffolds and supports for teachers. Maximize interactions with your students and the rigorous school curriculum, all within a robust online platform that you yourself learn to create. 
Learn the basics of virtual instruction. Learn strategies to maximize live content with increased engagement using your teacher toolbox and technology. Shine in your professional learning network. Show your interest in knowing more about our services and programs. Schedule a presentation, a virtual visit, or virtual training for you, your peers, and your school. You owe it to yourself and your future success. Register today. Go to AnnieEckloffInstitute.net or call us today at 240-200-4222. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll be glad you did. Um, could you give us all that you know about ADHD, the causes, what um, parents are um, should be aware of, and how how is it diagnosed? Those kinds of things. The name has changed several times, but in the late '90s, in the last um, diagnostic and statist statistical manual, which is the governing you know organization that decides the name or you know the different mental health challenges, they um, coined the name ADHD. And now we use that terminology. And to explain what it is, it's not bad behavior. I know a lot of times educators may have students who are diagnosed with this disability, and they may say, oh, it's just bad behavior, or they may not be diagnosed, and the student may be acting a certain way, and they say the child doesn't know how to behave, they're not listening, they're hyperactive, or whatever it is. But it's a neurological, genetic, nutritional, and sometimes medical disorder that imbalances the brain. And that's the definition that came from Dr. Greenblatt, who is a medical professional and an expert in the field. He coined that definition of ADHD. With the researchers, there's a plethora of different definitions, but they all um, come down to the fact that it's, it's something that affects the brain in different ways where, you know, executive functioning is affected. And, and I'm just going to read this definition so you have or our listeners have a better understanding of what it is. So executive function refers to the brain functions that activates, organize, integrates, and manages other functions. It enables individuals to account for short and long-term consequences of their actions and to plan for these results. It also allows individuals to make real-time evaluations of their actions and make necessary adjustments if those actions are not achieving the desired results. And that's from chad.org. And I'll give you more information about that later on. But this is really important when we're talking about ADHD and the various you know, comorbidities that comes along with it. Because if executive function is not working, then we have lots of other challenges. But I'm um, going back to your questions. You know, I just wanted to describe what is ADHD. And when you're talking about the causes, there's no specific thing that they can pinpoint that causes ADHD. You know, there's no one cause because all the research have been examining how ADHD came about and everybody came up with something different. And one of the things that they're pretty much honing on is that it's genetic because 90 actually 70 to 90% of this, the learners who are diagnosed with ADHD, they're also, you know, family members who have that diagnosis or may have those symptoms, but they're not officially diagnosed. It's normally from the parents. So, you know, mom may have it or dad may have it, 
or it may go back a few generations where others in the family, but it's more so genetic based. But other um, literature states that, you know, it could also be caused from stress during pregnancy. A lot of times the mom may be stressed and that causes a child to be born with ADHD. Additionally, depending on the environment in which the individual lives or lived during pregnancy, you know, if it's an environment where they may not be getting the best nutritional um, supplements for their diet, you know, lack of omega-3s, they, that could also cause the diagnosis because a lot of studies point out that if there's an area where the people are used to eating a lot of fish, especially salmon and tuna, and those type of fish that are rich in omega-3s, children are 99% of the time not diagnosed or born with those diagnoses. However, people who are living in an environment without that um, fish type um, supplement, they may be the ones who are more prone to be born with that diagnosis. So I would just say there's no specific cause for it, but there's some things that may exasperate, you know, having that diagnosis, such as stress, the environment, and, you know, genetics, but genetic is like the top one. All right. And let us know one more time, ADHD stands for? Attention, hyperactivity, wait, attention deficit, I'm sorry, (laughs) hyperactivity disorder. And ADHD was once referred to as ADD, which is attention deficit disorder. And now the hyperactivity part was added later on because, you know, a lot of people with the diagnosis, they may be having attention issues and they are not necessarily hyperactive. And some of them may be hyperactive and they do not present the um, attention deficit portion of it. To be successful in a virtual learning environment, Students need to build confidence online. At the Annie Eckloff Institute, we have certified online teachers, career coaches, and parent educators ready to assist students and families to build remote learning confidence, maintain online security, master online course navigation, and develop strategies to stay connected with a learning network and school. Here at Annie Eckloff Institute, we continue to offer our own individual and small group tutoring as well. Register for Fundamentals High School Geometry and Algebra, College Prep, Reading and Study Skills, Test Prep. We teach you to triumph over test anxiety. Register for web-based editing tools, computer-aided design for aspiring engineers, and finding your own voice in a virtual learning environment. You owe it to yourself and your future success. Register today. Go to annieeckloffinstitute.net or call us today at 240-200-4222. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll be glad you did. And I realize that when we're working with online learners, it's different from when you're working with face-to-face learners because, you know, the face-to-face connection, the human interaction, it's different. So we have to somewhat humanize the learning environment. Tune in to our next podcast where I will be speaking to Dr. Erica Mbachu, current administrator in a public school in Maryland, former bridge coordinator, and an expert in special education and bridging those necessary bonds between the school and home.
The professional literature that I'd like to share right now is just one about facilitating several ways of learning. And this ne doesn't necessarily focus on online learners, but this is a great textbook that we could be um, that could be used to support just, you know, the aspect of curriculum planning. It's by Bridget Aaron and James R. Davis. These are the two people that write, uh, they're the authors of the book and it's forwarded by Lee Fink. This is one that I've read and there's also another author who focuses on student success a lot and that's um, Sandra L. McGuire. She is out of Louisiana State University. Hey, don't let the pandemic get you down. At the Annie Egloff Institute, we want to next. So ADHD actually comes in three forms per se, you know, there's those who are diagnosed as just ADD, where they're having the disability for focusing. There are those who are hyperactive, hyperactive, and then the, there are those who have both of it. So you call that ADHD combined. All right. And what would be a recommendation you would have for parents who may see, observe some of these behaviors? Well, if parents are seeing these behaviors, the first thing I would suggest they do is to take their child to the child pediatrician or, you know, take them to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or, you know, a clinical social worker, someone who's able to give them an evaluation and a diagnosis of what the symptoms are. But don't just take them to a regular MD unless it's a pediatrician who will refer them to someone who is an expert in the field to get an official diagnosis. And this takes a while because, you know, they will be getting um, information or input from the parents or caregivers. They will be getting um, information from the teachers and they will be compiling a list of resources to determine if the child actually is um, having the symptoms of ADHD because a lot of times you know, you may assume that it's ADHD, but it could be something else happening depending on what's going on in the child's life at the time. But ADHD, it's not, a, there's no specific tool to measure childhood ADHD. There's not an objective measure. So it's a lot of qualitative data that's been collected to determine, you know, if there's an actual diagnosis or not. Who would be the professionals that would do this? The main professionals that I would um, suggest, and this is what, you know, all the literature indicates that you should go to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a social worker, a neurologist, or a clinical social worker. These are the clinicians who can make an official diagnosis. Now, because it is a, a neurodevelopmental um, disorder, how young What's the youngest age that can uh, we can find this or have a have a determination that this is the situation? The youngest age that I've researched that um, they can have that determination is three to four years old. That's when they start um, realizing that okay, you know, it's something more than the terrible tools. But once they're turning three, four, that's an age where you can make an adequate determination to say this child has the symptoms. And a, and a lot of times in the preschool settings, you know. They speak to the teachers to see how the child is acting in relations to his or her peers, because parents are sometimes the last one to realize that there is a um, problem because, you know, if, especially if it's an only child, they may think that the behavior is neurotypical when in actuality, that's not how same age peers are behaving or how they're progressing. And when I say progress too, I want to point out something to you. you I know you asked me about the younger children, but um. 
developmentally children with ADHD, they're sometimes two to three years behind their peers. So, you know, in that age group, we may still expecting developmental milestones to be coming about. But as they get older and you see where their peers are going, you know, ahead of them, then it's easier to say something is wrong. Let's have a medical professional, you know, evaluate my child to see what the case is. Because as a parent, I didn't get my child um, evaluated until he was in the first grade because, you know, a lot of his behaviors at four and five, they were cute. And being an only child, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't understanding that there's something that could have been the reason why he's the way he is. But once I got the diagnosis, I realized, okay, this is it. And we can, you know, work on solving all the challenges that are associated with the comorbidities and also the diagnosis. And that's probably why a lot of times a student, a, 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 a child will not get diagnosed until they're in a school setting because it's a social setting and you can pick those out. Am I right? Yes, you're hundred percent correct. But I want to add to what you're saying. They may not get diagnosed until they're in the school setting, but that can be a catch 22 situation because it depends on the culture, the ethnicity, the religion of the child, because even sometimes within the school setting, a child who may have the disability is not diagnosed because of, you know, the point of reference of the school community, educators in the school, you may say, okay, that um, race or ethnicity of the child is normal because, you know, when we stereotype, you know, that's just a bad kid because that's how they quote unquote behave. But it's not necessarily that it's based on a certain, you know, ethnicity, ethnicity, I'm sorry, or culture. It's based on the fact that, um, the child do have the disability, but we're overlooking it and masking it for, you know, cognitive behavioral challenges and, you know, other disabilities instead of calling it ADHD. And those children are the ones I'm most concerned about because yeah. they do not get a diagnosis and not having a diagnosis also prevents them from getting treatments and services that may be beneficial or that will be beneficial to their learning. Okay. That's a very interesting um piece that that's a good one for us to kind of get into um, some statistics on the diagnosis by race or ethnicity in the United States. Um, would you say that if that proves by the by the um, data that um, certain groups are identified more so than other groups? are listening to a podcast series hosted by the Annie Eckloff Institute, promoting integrative multimedia support with a student-centered approach when a traditional classroom is just not enough. The Annie Eckloff Institute provides virtual support for social learning anxiety, new learners, learners with disabilities, and thinking that is considered out of the box. Because life does not have to feel like Hey, don't let the pandemic get you down. At the Annie Egloff Institute, we want to maximize both face-to-face -face and virtual environments to provide fun and engaging spaces for learners of all ages. Check out our new Fall 2021 lineup. Programs include the following. AEI Kids Studio, an online makerspace for kids of all ages that will incorporate science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Kids will use various apps to play games, create some really cool digital media, and share creative ideas to build and test prototypes and designs. 
Mission Learn. Students will meet once per week to learn to appreciate math and science by engaging in interactive learning through the online space designed to reinforce what students are learning in school. By using online tools, open education resources, and virtual participation with a live tutor in a small group setting, students explore real-world applications of math and science to gain a better understanding of why we learn the skills. And check this out, we now have our own clubs. The Esports Club, which provides an organized high school level esports league in a comfortable environment with healthy competition to grow the next generation of industry leaders. We will also visit virtual scientific labs to witness the practical applications of concepts we've learned in the classroom. And of course, we still have our traditional programs as well, including individual and small group tutoring evenings or weekends to assist students with math and reading, GED and test prep and high school completion courses for older students. Register for web-based editing tools, computer-aided design for aspiring engineers, and finding your own voice in a virtual learning environment. Register your child today. Go to annieekloffinstitute.net or call us today at 240-200-4222. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll be glad you did. Join us this Saturday for a new episode of The Tea and the Toast. Get us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.